Welcome to Way Family Church. This is our sermon podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek God through His Word. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We would love to meet you. Or you can also visit us online at wayfamily.church. Happy New Year. It's good to see you. Um, I'm going to invite you to open to James. We're going to actually continue our sermon series on James. And I thought to myself when I was preparing and looking through this, I don't think there was a a better passage for us to go through uh, for January 1st of this new year. I think that um, there's no question about it. God is in our midst and he speaks to us and he has a word for us today. And so I'm excited to share from James chapter 2 today. We're going to look at verse 14 through 26. Now today's sermon uh, title is True Faith. I want you to see that true faith So this implies that if there's true faith, there probably is also a false faith. Do you see that? All right, and so James addresses this uh, true faith versus false faith in faith in this passage. And uh, we're gonna look to it. Um, False in the sense that there is a type of faith in God and in Jesus that is not genuine saving faith and I think that it is important for us to understand that there is a difference and that there is such a thing because I am convinced that many, and I'll just say quote unquote Christians, do believe that they have a saving faith, but they are far from it. And so this is, I believe, why James mentions this in this passage, and so we're gonna go through it. Now, this is just, I think, the big idea of what James is trying to say here, and we'll dive into it a little bit more, it's, and, and that is that a mere profession of faith is not necessarily true faith. Uh, the Bible provides teaching after teaching about true faith and its results, and we do well to do our due diligence in, again, learning more about it, discovering more about it, so that we are not in self-deceit, uh, thinking that we are, in fact, standing in saving faith when we are probably away from it. Now, I'm not a judge of the soul, and neither are you, right? And so with this, it's also important for us to know that God is the one who judges the soul, and our job is to bear witness of what he has done according to his word and according to what he's done in our lives and, and, to, and to just proclaim the good news of the gospel. It is not our job to determine who is and who isn't saved, right? Uh, and so that's an important key here. And I love what James is, is, is sharing here with us. But before we get into it, I, I just do want to hit again uh, just the, the, the reality that there are so many people. And I'm actually going to go and move away from the people in itself and, and actually mention the ministries, Christian ministries. There are many Christian ministries that go and they tell people that all they must do do to be saved is say a quick prayer. And I just want to warn us against that, because that's not all that salvation is. That does not establish a genuine saving faith, a true faith. Okay, and again, just a reminder, we are not judges of the soul, right? But as heralds of truth, as people who have been commissioned to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in the gospel, 
We know that we were not commissioned to go and encourage people to just say a quick prayer, but to actually have an understanding of what the gospel is, of what Christ crucified actually is, the implications of the cross and our salvation and justification and sanctification. There's a lot to it, and we do have that responsibility as believers to proclaim truth and nothing but the truth because it is the truth that sets us free, all right? But there are ministries that will say, just say a quick prayer. I wanna give you an example of one uh, that I've recently uh, uh, just saw. Uh, sometime last year, which wasn't too long ago. <laughs> Crazy, right? Uh, sometime last year, uh, you've probably heard of the Babylon Beam. It's a Christian organization. Uh, they do a lot of satire articles. They're actually quite funny. I, I find a lot of humor in what they do. And, and again, I'm not a judge of anything, but the Babylon Bee had uh, Elon Musk as a guest and they interviewed him. I don't know if you guys, any, if any of you guys saw this, but they interviewed Elon Musk. And to be honest with you, I don't even know what the interview was about because the very last portion of the interview is what really stuck with me forever. And this is what I want to share with you. Now, at the end of the interview, uh, they did, they, the Babylon Bee, which is a Christian organization, did their due diligence to invite Elon Musk what is it, the wealthiest man on earth right now, to receive Christ as his savior, which you would think, yes, great on you, right? Great on you, Babylon B, for doing your due diligence and speaking to this man who has the ability to do so much for the kingdom of God. And, and so they do this, and I, I wanna actually read the conversation to you, and I'll just want you to an analyze it, okay? You weigh it yourselves. But this is the conversation and the conversion, because, We'll see. The Babylon Bee says, so now for our final question. You know that the Babylon Bee is a Christian organization and we're a ministry. Elon says, well then how come you're doing this show on a Sunday? Why wasn't your church gathered? Why are you heathens, why aren't you heathens at church? And they laugh about it, ha 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 ha. Thank you. And then the Babylon Bee says, exactly. We have to make it church right now. Elon says, church is supposed to be a day of rest. Didn't God say, don't work on Sundays? I thought, perfect teaching opportunity, because God didn't actually say that, right? <laughs> but you can tell that Elon's thinking. Uh huh. And the Babylon Bee says, we're going straight down. Okay, this one and get into the whole Jesus resting. Okay, fine. Okay, so to make this church, we have to make sure just, we're wondering if, you could do us a quick solid and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That was the invitation. We're wondering if you could do us a quick solid and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Elon's response was, on the show? Um, okay, and then they respond, yeah, personal Lord and Savior. It's a quick prayer. Elon laughs and he says, I mean, let's just say like, I agree with the principles that Jesus advocated. Um, and there's some great wisdom in teachings of Jesus, and I agree with these teachings. And he continues in saying, and things like turn the other cheek are very important because as opposed to an eye for an eye, an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. So forgiveness is important and treating people as you wish to be treated. Love thy neighbor as thyself, very important. Babylon, sa Babylon B says, so it's like a 60-70% yes? Elon says, as Einstein would say, I believe in the God of Spinoza. But hey, if Jesus is saving people, 
I wouldn't stand in his way, you know, like, I'll be sure, I'll be safe, why not? Babylon B's response is, sweet, we did it. I think he just said yes. We got it all right, we got him. Great, praise the Lord. Elon says, sounds good. And then the Babylon jokingly says, well, now we get to get you baptized. You wanna get baptized real quick? And they laugh about it. And Elon with a serious face says, I was baptized. And the Babylon says, okay, well then he's done, he's good. And that was the end of the broadcast, okay? Now when I saw this, my heart broke because it seemed to be a very beautiful and perfect opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. But instead, they came with a very brief and quick question and they said, will you do us a quick solid and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? <laughs> oh, you know, now again, I'm not a judge of the soul, and I don't know where this man, Elon Musk, stands between, you know, his relationship between him and God. So we can't say that he is or isn't saved. We don't know that. But what we do know is that this Christian organization really missed an opportunity to proclaim the truth of the gospel, the good news of the gospel. And there's still a lot of questions. So I would say I'm not sure what happened here. But what I can tell you is that Elon was actually thinking, in fact, I'm actually saddened that he was left to process on his own. And if you noticed, he processed the reality that the message of Jesus was actually good morals, good ethics, things that he agrees with, good values, right? That's the direction that he was going into. And having thought things through in that matter, he said, sure, yeah, I'll be safe. I agree with those things. And a lot of what he was mentioning was that wasn't even actually clear as far as what the Bible was actually saying about these things. And so this is just a heartbreaking thing for me. And the result of this, and I'm not saying in this case in particular, but just generally speaking, the result of things in moments like this is an ingenuine, if that's the right word, an untrue, a false faith. And a false faith is very dangerous. In fact, we can go and say that it's even to the point of demonic. And I will show you because James mentions that. So with that uh, little intro here, we see that James speaks of this so that believers, Christians wouldn't be confused by this because I was really confused after this little interview. I thought to myself, what just happened? I don't know if you had the same reaction. What just happened here? <laughs> you know, very confusing. But when we're well-versed in the scriptures, we're not confused by these things. In fact, some scriptures can be confusing because they seemingly are contradictory to itself. And we hear a lot of people say, hey, why does the Bible conflict with itself? Why does it contradict itself? It doesn't. We just need to look closer. And so we're going to do that today because this passage that we're going to look into is actually one of those that people bring up as this is a contradiction to the rest of Scripture. And so with that, let's dive into James chapter 2, 14 through 26. And it says this, follow along with me. <clears throat> what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Also, faith by itself, it does not have works. If it does not have works, it is dead. But some one will say, oh, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. 
You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we're able to gather here in this special day as we receive this new year, Father. And Lord, we acknowledge that this word is for us for today. And this is a launching pad for us to and through this new year. And so we ask that you would speak to us, Lord Jesus, that you would allow us to understand, Father, the word here, Lord, that we would be able to understand it in a way that is so applicable and that we would not be blinded, Lord, by just, just beliefs, but that we would absolutely know your truth and that we would be so certain of it, that we would be activated to do it, Father. And as your word says, that we would not just be hearers, but that we would also be doers of your word, Lord. We ask, Lord, this in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. So I don't know if you've caught those lines that seem a little contradictory. You know, we'll go through those. But let's see, this, this, uh, this passage, um, I think, generally misunderstood for very obvious reasons. James is saying something that's different from what Paul teaches, uh, but let's dive into this and make sense of it because it actually is not a contradiction and it is not confusing once you, act, you take a closer look at this. So let's do that. Uh, before we do that though, I want to break it down in this way. I think James does this, so I'm going to do this. Uh, he takes one section at a time and he starts with the only thing needed to be saved. So we're going to talk about, okay, what do we actually need to be saved? Faith or works? Okay, because this is the, con the, con the, the conflict. Paul says you are only saved by faith. Now James is saying you need works to be saved. So what's going on? What is the actual thing needed to be saved? The other thing we're going to look at is the result of true faith. And then James closes it up with a couple of examples or an illustration of true faith. So let's start with the first thing, the only thing needed to be saved. Verse 14, let's check it out. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? You see that word, that? That's, that's implying that there's more than one style of faith, type of faith. He's saying that there's this faith and there's that faith. That faith does not save. What is that faith? That faith is the faith that believes, but does not do. And he goes and uses the example of, okay, I believe and therefore I do. That's the faith that does save. But he's actually challenging the faith, that faith that does not save, that does not actually um, encourage someone to move forward into action. In other words, can faith that doesn't lead to works or action save a person? And James is asking a rhetorical question. And in fact, he does this often in this passage because the Hellenistic Jews, that was the rhetoric, you know, they would often advance with a, uh, with a, a comeback question 
or a response that would be assumed or implied or, hey, let's just think a little further and let's just ask rhetorical questions, make rhetorical statements. And that's what James does. And so this is what we'll see here. And what he's saying is that a workless faith or an actionless faith is not the faith that saves. Oh, that's interesting. So if there's a faith that cannot save, what faith does save? Let's make that clear. The quick answer is true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the faith that saves. That's the true saving faith, and it's only by God's grace. That faith in itself is a gift from God. Even the ability for us to have faith in God is given to us by God. It is a grace itself for us to even believe in God in a way that is going to be life transforming. Life transforming meaning not only are you justified, but you're also initiated onto works, onto doing the things, producing fruit. Look at what Ephesians 2, 8 says. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. So the grace that you have received even to have faith is a gift from God. And this is not something you just did. The Lord gave this to you. He's growing it in you. He's sanctifying you. He's building you up in his way. He's bolstering up the measure of the faith that you have so that you can't brag about yourself. That's, that's basically it. You can't say that your faith is awesome, you know, compared to mine. And uh, I need to, you know, work harder on my faith. I mean, the fact of the matter is that the faith has been given to us is a measure of grace that the Lord has given to us. It's a gift itself. And then it continues in Ephesians 2.10. It says, and this is the part that's very important. We're going to actually refer to this a couple times. For we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ooh, we have been made to do these things, right? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this saving faith, right? This, 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 uh, this, 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 God's choice in us was to bring us into this place where we will respond in works, where we respond in action. We were created for such a thing and we should walk in them. That is not a question. If you have received that saving faith, you should walk in the way that which produces works, which means you're doing the things that the scriptures calls us to do. So saving faith in Jesus is a gift and is not a solid that we can give, make God. Uh, I can't say, I, I just can't say to anybody, hey, will you do me a solid and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Guys, don't do that, okay? <laughs> we can't do that as a favor. We can't do that as a favor to God. We can't do that as a favor to ourselves. We can't do that. You know, it is a gift of God. They just have faith in him in itself, you know, but we can respond. And when we do have that, that saving grace and faith in Christ Jesus, we respond by moving forward in obedience, by doing the things that the Bible calls good fruit. And so how do we respond to this and, and, uh, and how, you know, how is it that works then don't save us, but the faith does? Because this is what Paul says. It's not works, it's faith. But then James says, no, it's works too. Well, let's clear that up. Titus 3, 5 through 6 says that works cannot save. He says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing 
uh, of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit when he poured out into us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In other words, not because of works, but because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And so if we continue to read in verse 16 through or 15 through 16 here in James, we're going to continue to try to clear this up. And he says in 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the thing needed for the body, what good is it? What's What's interesting here is that James actually uh, referring to a regular common um, um, statement that people that, that a good Jew would make when someone was in need. Go in peace, the Lord will be with you. He actually quotes that from Judges. I think it's 18, yeah, 6. Go in peace, be good. That was kind of what the law instructed the Jews to do. But now he's saying, what good is it to just say that but not actually fill the need? You know, in other words, you don't actually mean for them to be well. If there's something you could do about it, do it, you know? Like you are the hands and feet of Jesus. If there's something you could do for them to be well, do it, is what he's saying. Otherwise, what good is it? And he's really challenging us to think through things because I think I find myself guilty of this all the time. I'll say, brother, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll just do that, I'll go be in peace, but I don't actually take the initiative to do something to help the matter, right? And so he's, this is what he's implying. Those works are very important. Those works matter. Not just believing that God's going to take care of them, but also step into action and do what we can do. And then uh, he goes in and Actually, before I go into that place, I just want to note that it's important to note that the law cannot save us because, again, he's referring to what the law instructs us. The law itself cannot save us. It's, as we mentioned, or as we read in chapter 1 of, of James, it's like a mirror. It reveals the sin in us, but it does not provide salvation. For if it did, then for what did Jesus die? Galatians 2.21 says, I do not nullify, Paul's saying this, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Because if righteousness could come through the law, then the law would be sufficient. In 3.11 of Galatians, he says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for righteousness shall live, for the righteous shall live by faith. 3.24 of Galatians, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And so Paul continuously says salvation, justification is all by faith. And then James says, and I'll repeat here in verse 17, faith without works is dead. Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, what's going on here? Empty words is what he's saying are useless as an empty faith that fails to produce good works. Dead, useless, without any life. Not that it has lost its life, it's just never had life. This kind of faith never has life. This kind of faith was never moved to do something about it. You know, this is the kind of faith that we need to get checked because it means, okay, is this the saving faith? Is this something that we need to actually consider and ask the Lord to, to, to really reveal to us? You know, there's no true faith that fails to produce works. Works meaning acts of services, selfless service. There is no genuine faith, is what he's saying, that does not produce works. Wow. So that's something to think about. I'll just leave that there. True faith has 
good results. And that's the next section that I want to go into. The results of true faith. Verse 18, he says, But someone will say, or someone will argue, Okay, you have your, your faith and I have my works. And so many times we do that. We're quick to justify our actions and our giftings, right? No, no, you're, you're good at the faith thing. Let me do the work things, okay? No, 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 that's just not the thing that the Lord gave for me to do. Well, in regards to faith, there's no question about it because the only way for people to know whether or not you're a faithful Christian is by your works. You know, that's the only way I will, I will know, you will know of me, that, if, that I truly believe. See, whatever you truly believe, you behave in. You know, there was a moment where everyone believed that coconut oil could heal everything. I don't know if that's still the thing. You know, I, I never believed that. And you could tell that I never actually believed that because I never carried coconut oil with me. But those who do, do believe that and who still advocate for coconut oil, I'm not bashing on you coconut oil lovers, all right? But I can tell that you actually believe that coconut oil is good for you because you carry it with you everywhere. Right? I believe that you actually believe that. Do you see that? And this is probably a terrible example. All right. But there are things like I can tell what you believe by the way that you behave. Right. You can tell me that you believe certain things. But if I don't see that in you, I don't know that for sure. And, and vice versa. I could preach certain things, but if you don't see that in me, you don't know that about me for sure. It could just be talk, right? And this is what James is getting at. True faith has results, and these are the results of true faith. Faith that saves will produce works. That's the first result. There's going to be action behind that faith. And again, referring to that passage in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, this is not your own doing, but it's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. But then this, this verse in 10 is very important. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So if Jesus has redeemed us, we have been redeemed unto these things, you know, which God prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. And so if we are a child, a son or daughter of Christ, we will walk in those works that he has prepared for us beforehand. We have been created for such things, not for ourselves, not for our own comforts, not for our own pleasures, but for the service of our king. All right. And so this is the only form of evidence that we have unto others. This is the only way we could actually show people what we believe. You know, God has his ways, but we don't, we're not God. <laughs> and the only way we can see things is based on what we can observe. And perhaps this is precisely why Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 16. And this is a verse that we referred to at the candlelight service. He says this, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God wants us to shine in a way where it's observable, where people can see and they may ask, what is it that you have? I need that. I see that you're in relationship with God. I see that you have the peace of God, the joy of God. There's joy in your salvation. That should be observable. If it's not observable in your life, I'm just going to say, come to the Lord about that and ask him, God, what's going on? You know, because again, I, I'm not a judge of the soul. I can't tell you for sure if you are or aren't. But I can't say that the scripture says there is such a thing as a false faith and a true faith. And we do well to know what it is to have that true faith so that we may walk in it, so that we may ask the Lord to help us in it, grow in it. And Paul, as he's instructing Titus in the Lord, he says to Titus and Titus 2, 
I want to show you what he says to Titus. It's pretty good here. He says, Titus 2.11. Is, there it is. It was almost missing here. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing us salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passing. See, these are action. These are action things that we do because of the salvation that we receive and to, self, to, be, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly uh, lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify us for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. See, when we are redeemed, when we're brought to saving grace, to the salvation of the Lord, we become excited to do what we can for the Lord. Now, I love this congregation and how quick you guys are to serve. We need to move some tables, someone's gonna move some tables. It's not hard to find someone to help because everyone's eager to do something to help. And I love that. You know, that's, that's the Holy Spirit moving in us, just being zealous for these good things to do, these good works to serve one another. And then if we continue in verse 19 of James, uh, James continues, he says, I think it's just interesting, actually go backwards a little bit in 18. He says, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And then 19 says, you believe God is one, you do well. See, a lot of people believe in God. A lot of people can't deny that Jesus is an actual person. But then he says, even the demons believe and shudder. That's interesting. So you can have a belief of God. You can have a belief of Jesus. But that's not the same, same type of faith that is saving. Because if the demons believe and they're not saved, what does that say? That means that there's still a rejection. There's still something that is in the way of that, right? There's still something that doesn't make it genuine. And it could be that it's not, that, not only that you don't do works, right? You don't behave in a way that exemplifies Christ and his salvation. It may be that you're doing something totally opposite. And this is what I mean by this. False faith is very dangerous and demonic in the sense that a false faith has us deceived. A false faith can blind us into thinking that we have peace with God and thinking that we are saved, but in reality, we're not. We're far from it. And so, James continues, believe, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Another rhetorical question. To make the point, it is foolish not to see the uselessness of a quote-unquote faith that produces no good works. And this leads us to the final section of this passage. And now he's going to show them the result of true faith, an illustration of true faith. And he uses two particular examples from the Old Testament. But here is the fact of the matter. If these, let's call them legends, <laughs> that we read about in the Old Testament did not move forward, act on their faith, we would never even know of them. Do you see that? What we find written about Abraham, about Rahab, about uh, Noah, about uh, uh, Joseph, about Moses, about all these guys that you read in the Old Testament, we know of them because of what they did, because of how they responded according to that faith 
that was gifted to them, that was given to them by God. They responded in a way that was documented and now we can learn of it. But if they did nothing and just simply knew something and believed it in their hearts only, there would be nothing to write of, right? There would be no way of us knowing the degree of their faith. And so this is what James mentions, and he brings this example. In verse 21, um, he says, Yeah, was not Abraham our father justified by works? Again, I thought we were justified by faith. He says, was he not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac uh, uh, on the altar? Let's go to Romans really quick. Romans 4, 3, it says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. All right. So Paul and James seemingly are saying something different. Paul saying it's faith that justifies you. James is saying it's works that justifies you. And so the question is, is someone wrong here? Is someone right here? But again, we're clearing it up so that you can see that they're actually not conflicting and they're saying the same thing. We just need a little bit of clarity here. And let's continue actually to Romans uh, chapter 4, uh, 19 through 25. It says, Romans, Paul saying, He did not weaken in faith when he considered, in regards to Abraham, when he considered his own body, which was, a good, was, was, which was good as dead, since he, since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Paul doesn't say his works, he says his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But James says his works counted him as righteousness. So we have to clear this up. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, uh, in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up from our trespasses and raised for our justification. And then Romans 5.1, Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith was completed by his works, is now what James says. So we, we, it's seemingly a contradiction. Let's go back to James, though. Now, I'm actually going to read that verse again, 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? 22. You see, and here's the answer to this. That faith was active along with his works. So there is no contradiction. He's talking about the faith that produces works. The faith that has the fruit of works is what justified Abraham. But he could not have acted or done anything without that faith. And that's what James is saying. That faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. In other words, he believed and then he did. Check mark. That's it. That's the saving faith. So there is no conflict. There is no contradiction because what James is calling works is actually that faith that produces works. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about. That faith that produces 
works. There is no contradiction. There is no conflict. We just need to take a slower look at this and realize that James is actually saying the same thing that Paul is saying. It was completed, that faith, that saving faith was completed by his works and the scriptures, 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. God. Amen. Justified by works and not by faith alone. Again, at a glance, this looks like and sounds like a contradiction, but they are compatible. For James, faith alone means a bogus kind of faith. That's what James is saying. Faith alone is that just bogus, I just know a thing or two kind of faith. This is the way that James is defining just faith alone. That mere intellectual agreement without personal trust in Christ that bears fruit. The faith that does not bear fruit. That faith does not save is what, G, what James is saying. And Paul argues that true saving faith is never alone, that it always produces works. So again, just to reiterate, they're saying the same thing. That same faith produces works. That faith produces works. Therefore, if you have faith and you have that work, you have that saving faith. We can observe that. We can see that. That's the ticket. That's the one you want. All right? <clears throat> so... Another example, illustration that James offers is in Rahab. And then 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. 25, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Okay, this is a good example. Do you remember Rahab? I, I just, I think it's so interesting that she's called Rahab the prostitute over and over again, right? But this, this lady was a harlot, you know, in Jericho. And um, Joshua sends men into Jericho to kind of scout it out to see what's going on here because they're going to go and invade. And Rahab, it says that it was her works, you know, that she received the messengers and sent them out in a way. Why would Rahab do that? Rahab believed in the God of Israel. She feared the God of Israel. She had this faith like no other, this faith that provoked her to willingly do something that could have cost her her life. She knew that there was something, some kind of salvation in this God of Israel, and therefore she acted on that. So she did not just behave with works, but those works were ignited. They were launched by that faith that came, right? Which was a grace, a gift of God in itself. And so we have this beautiful example that it's what she did that mattered at the end of the day. And then he ends in verse 26, James does, and he says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Do you get it now? So a body is dead without a spirit or breath, and likewise faith is dead without works. So our challenge, my challenge for you guys, for myself, is we have an opportunity to start over this new year, right? New year is a, a season of starting over, of resetting. A lot of us do New Year's resolutions. I kind of quit that because I fail, that, fail at those all the time. So what I do is just kind of like, okay, I am going to be more like Jesus. Like that is my resolution each and every day and I'm gonna take it one day at a time. But what I'm going to do, what I want to do, what I really would love the Lord to do in me is to use me in a way that's just undeniable. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you. 
And what I'd like to do instead of giving you takeaways this moment as we start the new year, I'd like to just remind you of our vision as a church, our values, and what we hope to accomplish uh, as a genuine body of believers. We're not bogus believers. I think that this last year we've had many opportunities to learn and grow, really bolster up our faith and spirit. There's been so much that has happened. And what I would like for us to do is continue in that mission, that vision. And I just want to share this with you. Our church vision for Way Family Church, this body of believers here, we see God changing our community by opening hearts to the gospel. We want to see the brokenness in our community made whole, relationships restored families reunited the lost found in christ by building a culture of discipleship so god does the saving jesus does the saving but we can act by building a culture of discipleship and service where we honor god by doing right where we honor god we honor his word and the family unit we believe Tucson will be changed for the glory of God. Amen. And I believe it is by the grace of God and by our good works that this will happen. It's a combination. Again, I don't know why the Lord called us to do these things because he could have just done it, but he did. And so we're going to respond in obedience. And our core values, you probably have seen them. We have a banner in the entry, but if you could learn these, that'd be great. Our first core value is reverence. We want to rightly fear the Lord and cultivate a reverence for his name. He is holy and he is worthy to be praised. It is so obvious that our new generation is losing a reverence for the Lord, right? We do not want to lose that. Our second core value is truth. Obedience to scripture is vital for the church and every believer. We want to stay grounded in the word and in all we do and say. I love having biblical conversations with fellow brothers and sisters. Let's look for those opportunities as often as we can because this is what grows us. This is what helps us be grounded, especially in this very confusing world. Amen? The next one is family. We want to protect the family unit as God designed it. We want to equip families to seek God together and become a biblical, genuine, genuine family of believers. And the last... Um, value that we have is service. Again, in response to this word that faith without works is dead. And so therefore, let's get activated. Let's get moving. Let's serve. Let's do. Like Christ, we want to serve and not be served. We desire to display the love of Jesus to our community in real and tangible ways, in a way that is observable, in a way that they can see that God dwells in our hearts. Amen? And how do we accomplish this? Well, we could do it as a gathered body, like right now, being together. Sunday morning services is a way to do that. We learn of God's word. We fellowship with one another. Hopefully you're checking in with one another and not just saying, see you next week, you know. Hopefully you're doing that kind of thing. You know, we can do service projects together, benevolent acts, you know, like helping people who need help um, and so on and so forth. As individuals, you do it by prioritizing the things that matter for eternity, like coming to church. It's very important to teach your kids that coming together to church is actually important. We need to do that. You know, we're using, we're losing that generation of children who even think of going to church. Some of them don't even know that there is church. You know, so let's prioritize the things that are important, like Bible study, discipleship relationships, etc. Take opportunities to serve and not be served. And I want to just show you this to our mission. This is our mission statement as a church. 
so that you know what we're doing here, <laughs> or at least what we're trying to do, what we're working for. And it is, we are here to reach our community for Christ so that they may walk with Christ and they may share him with others because an individual who's walking with Christ is at peace. An individual who's walking with Christ is learning, is growing. An individual who's sharing Christ with others is helping share that light that we might not be in the darkness, but we would be able to see a future that glorifies God. Amen. That's our mission. That's our hope. And we don't just do that by praying and sitting around. Prayer is very important, but it doesn't end there. We go and we do what we can. Amen. It is the Lord who empowers us to do these things. And he's the only one that saves. All we can do is be heralds for the word of God. All right. And then finally, I know I've been taking long, but I just want to share a few highlights of what have happened this last year that we would be inspired to do better next year, right? Uh, just this last year in 2022, if you, in case you forgot a few things, we cleaned up a lot of our neighborhood through our community care projects. Used to run around and clean up corners and do things and projects like that. We did a lot and people noticed that. And we began our men's breakfast for the building up of one another as iron sharpens iron. And we wanna continue to do that this year, get together as guys, men, and just build each other up. We completed a fruitful discipleship course and uh, with some of you guys, and I do mean fruitful, you know. Out of that, leaders uh, came out, they surfaced, and more was able to be done. It was just a beautiful time together where we could just grow and glean from one another and the word of the Lord. We made new friends and added to our church. We partnered with our local community center and served them and our community with an Easter egg hunt. Do you remember that? That was a beautiful time. Our teens went to youth camp and we saw a salvation through that this last year. We baptized a few of our brothers and sisters. We moved uh, locations twice. That was fun, wasn't it? We restored the school's garden. We sent kids to camp. We had family camp. It was a great time of, for us to bond and grow together. We added to leadership. We started new small groups. We helped feed hungry, the hungry on Thanksgiving Day, and we sponsored three families for Christmas, and we grew our faith and our knowledge of Christ, didn't we? And I'm so happy that, you know, I can say that. A lot of people ask you, how big is your church? Our church is really big, man. We're growing. Our faith is being bolstered. We're doing well. We're learning. We're gleaning. And we're also teaching. And so with that, I just want to wish you a happy new year. Um, and I want you to know that I really love you guys, every one of you guys. You know, I'm blessed by you. I'm blessed by this ministry. And I know that the Lord's doing, using this for something uh, very, very good. And so with that, um, I just want to show you this final video, and then we'll close with a word of prayer. <laughs> 